Hey guys, welcome back. Thank you for joining me. Uh, this is Pure Lunacy. So, I want to thank everybody for who was able to tune in and uh, just give their perspectives on the conversation that I had with Mr. John Beckwith III. Um, I thank John again for joining me. It was a hard conversation to have um, in a time where this kind of discourse is needed in our communities. Um, and I, I thank him again from the bottom of my heart for giving his perspective and just being sincere in a time where we all just need to have that reconciliation, have that conversation and push for a better future for all of us in all our communities. So this week, um, I decided to do something a little bit different. I decided to go ahead and open up the conversation to questions. Um, I usually get a lot of emails or texts or messages from people just asking for my perspective, asking for my uh, opinion on a lot of different things. So I figured I would open that door to y'all and just have a little bit of a conversation. So I do have a few questions, a lot of interesting questions that I'll be uh, addressing hopefully. Um, it is my opinion, so uh, you don't have to take it as the holy grail. I take it as my own holy grail, I guess. <laughs> Uh, but let's dig in. Uh, politics, policy, um, why not? In, in a time like this, this is where we need to have discourse. We need to have the ability to have analysis, to have uh, differing opinions in respect and uh, move forward from there. This is Pure Lunacy. Welcome. Um, so one of the first questions I got was regarding the Confederate flag and monuments and do I believe that they should be taken down? What's my opinion on a Confederate flag and monuments? So I'm not going to make anybody happy with this opinion. <laughs> it's pure lunacy. I'll do what I want, right? Uh, I don't think I'll make anybody happy with my perspective, but I have a layered perspective, right? Um, when it comes to the Confederate flag and the monuments, my initial uh, first layer of perspective is um, why do we still have it? <laughs> and let me pause. Let me pause. Um, I'm being rhetorical here. I, I, I have a comprehensive knowledge of why we have the Confederate flag and why the monuments are there. And some, you know, will uphold it as a cultural thing. Now, in my perspective, um, pretty simple. The Confederate flag represents the Confederate states who, in my opinion, were treasonous because they tried to break up the country due to their own interests and caused a war from 1861 to 1865. And then after they lost the war, they continue to uphold a flag of treasonous states. Um, and some people say, well, it's cultural and they were fighting for the economy and autonomy. Yeah, okay, so let's rewind. Yes, there was a big debate on the economy and whether states had the authority at that time um, to make decisions regarding their economy but we need to recognize that the foundation of the economy in those Confederate states was on the back of slavery. 
So you can state it as an argument over the economy, but really it's an argument over slavery. Um, so that representation of that flag is ultimately a representation of slavery. I mean, you we don't see, let me, let, let's rewind even further back, right? We don't see people who supported uh, uh, the English in the Revolutionary War, we didn't see them staying in America and flying the British flag, right? They lost, <laughs> they lost the war. Why the heck are you gonna fly the British flag when you lost the war? So fast forward to the Civil War, why the heck are you gonna fly the flag of the people who lost? Um, you lost the war. And not only that, it was a war started to maintain an economy that was dependent on slavery, the enslavement of black people in America. I, I find no logic, in my opinion, in, in upholding that flag. Um, it just, it doesn't register or make sense. Now I do comprehend the history of how this cultural phenomenon has uh, laid its roots in, in the South, specifically with the Confederate daughters, or the, the, the daughters, the, what was it? The United Daughters of the Confederacy, that's what it was. Um, specifically about two or three decades after World War, or not, the Civil War, excuse me. Um, so the Civil War ended about 1865. So you could say about 1890s, you had these um, women who decided to come together and basically honor those who fought in the Confederacy. Um, it was after the period of Reconstruction. Now, if you don't know your history, let Professor Bento tell you, um, there was a period of time right after the Civil War where Northern troops and uh, Northern entities came down to the South to attempt to establish um, the order that they saw fit. Uh, once Reconstruction was over, they left. And when that occurred, those who actually were in support of the Confederacy came into authority. And that's where we start to see the establishment of Jim Crow South. Um, and in that time period, we start to see uh, the, the United Daughters of the Confederacy have this movement to try and rewrite and honor those who fought for the Confederacy. So in that time period, um, these women uh, not only got together, um, raised their children, and um, taught them the values of what they believed to be the virtues of the Confederacy, they also established the cultural phenomenon that we see today in regards to the flag. And also these are the women who also helped pay for a lot of the Confederate statues. So about 30 years after um, the Civil War, so 30 years after 1865, so we start to see about 1890s into the early 1900s, right before uh, World War One. excuse me, um, we see these women uh, implement the, the story and the legacy that we, they would like to see fit. So there is an understanding, there's an academic comprehension of why this occurred. But in terms of my personal logic of supporting the Confederacy, they lost the war. And not only that, they're the cause of the war. They are the reason that we have, and if you don't know this, the war that has caused the most bloodshed 
for American soldiers and American lives in American history that we have fought is the Civil War. And we have this flag that is a symbol of states who were treasonous, who were treasonous, they betrayed the Union, and yet they want to uphold it to me is a slap in the face of the union and the thing that makes America great. <laughs> the thing that makes us one. So am I in support of the Confederate flag or monuments? No, I'm, I'm really not. Um, however, in regards to the flag and the monument, um, do I support the removal of the Confederate flag? Do I support the removal of the statues? Um, I think if it's people's prerogative, just like it was people's prerogative to establish this leg uh, legacy of um, the Confederacy, I think it's people's prerogative to recognize that that legacy isn't really upholding what we value today. Um, however, I will say this. I do think that the tedious process of taking down these statues is a large waste of money. I, I know. <laughs> I told you I wasn't going to make anybody happy with my comments um, regarding this. Uh, I think it's a waste of money. And I'll tell you why. Removing just one of these statues the correct way can easily cost about a million dollars, right? Um, and then you remove it, and then you have to store it. So you spend almost a million dollars, usually it's local funds, um, then you have to store it, and that's additional hundreds of thousands of dollars, and depending on how long you keep it in storage, it's gonna be maybe a few other million. My problem is this, yes, it's a representation, of traitors. <laughs> um, yes, it's a representation of, of an entity that is essentially wanted to ensure the establishment of slavery in America. But we could really use those funds and those dollars for uh, other things, especially in the middle of a pandemic. We have people who are literally becoming homeless because the pandemic, I'm talking and referring to COVID-19, um, has led to people losing their homes and evictions. It could help address homelessness. It could help address mental illness. It could, there's so many things that could be done with a few million dollars and we're spending it on removing statues. Um, so what do I think should be done? I think that if people are so inclined, um, instead of using tax dollars or general local funds, um, do the same thing. Don't, don't reinvent the wheel. Uh, the reason those statues came about is because there was a group of women, um, predominantly there are other stories and entities, but the, the major group that had an influence was the United uh, Daughters of the Confederacy, um, who came together. So come together and get the funds to remove those statues if you see fit. Um, you know, statues are not 
an establishment of society that must be upheld due to their holiness and you can't touch them. Um, as society changes, I think it can be changed. Now, I will say this, something that I always find interesting, um, and I, it, it's, call, it's a call to action in regards to how we view the Confederate flag and these monuments. Um, again, in my opinion, they are a representation of an institution that maintained people in slavery, black people in America in slavery. And I, I'm gonna make this call specifically to Republicans. Um, Republicans, if you are proud of the fact that Abraham Lincoln was a Republican, if you are proud of the fact that Abraham Lincoln called for the Emancipation Proclamation, Republicans, if you are proud of the fact that Republicans won the Civil War, then Republicans, you should not be a supporter of the Confederate flag because the Union fought against the Confederacy. The Union fought against the flag. Now, let me pause. I understand there are going to be people who are going to say, well, Priscilla, if you notice through the history, there's been a shift and a change and the Republican Party and the Democratic Party are not the entities that they are. They were in the past. And I know I'm a political science professor. Trust me, I know. But what I will say is this. If you're a Republican and you are proud of the Republican name and the fact that Abraham Lincoln was a Republican and you're proud of the fact that Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, you should be a stout Republican in opposition of anything that upholds the values of those who Abraham Lincoln fought against. And Abraham Lincoln fought against the Confederacy. Abraham Lincoln fought against the ideals of slavery so I don't understand why there are some who claim to be Republicans and still fly that flag. Sorry guys, I, I like I said, nobody's gonna be happy with my reply. <laughs> people who like the Confederate flag are gonna be mad because I'm not a supporter of the flag. And people who wanna take down the statues are not gonna be happy with me because I think it's a waste of money that we could be spending on other things, especially in the middle of a pandemic. But hey, that's just me. Thanks for coming to Pure Lunacy. <laughs> um, so that's that, yeah. Um, in regards to the flag and the monuments, I, I think that we could be spending money on other things. Um, and I think that if it is something of a priority, maybe in the near future, we can come up with the funds as a collective society to remove them. But I think for the immediate removal um, and spending local funds on things that, don't have a direct impact on the lives of people when we know that there are people who are homeless, people who have mental illness, people who um, are becoming homeless due to the pandemic and um, evictions. I just, I think that we should not really spend that money there right now. That's just, that's me. There's gonna be people who are gonna be mad at me and I'm sure you'll comment. Um, okay, so. Another question, there's a lot. So what do I think of uh, these protests and the riots? And is it um, something that's gonna make a difference? So I've had um, a few conversations in regards to the protests and to the riots. Um, I do, sorry about that. <laughs> um, I do, I will say this. 
I am a 100% supporter of the protests and people who utilize their First Amendment right to address or redress the, the government and um, those who represent us. That is our right. It's our American right. It's our American tradition. Um, so those who take to the streets, who, you know, have something to say, I think that you have the right to redress your government. Um, and thank God we have that opportunity. If you're not paying attention to international news, uh, look at Hong Kong. The communist government of China has literally taken over Hong Kong. And just today or yesterday, they passed these security measures and started arresting all the protesters in Hong Kong who were protesting against the communist takeover of um, Hong Kong by the communist government of China. Isn't it wonderful that we have the opportunity to address our government? Um, now, I say that in regards to the protests. In regards to the rioting, um, I take a layered approach, right? I d first, I don't support those who were tearing up buildings, burning buildings. Um, there were some instances around the country where people got violent. Um, I, I don't support that at all. Like, full stop. I'm not going to be a supporter of that. However, I do understand why, right? And, and this is where the layers come in. The first layer is in regards to the fact that there are people who are angry and they are tired. And this is the mode of communication that they decided to utilize to express that anger. Again, do I find it to be the best mode and the best outlet? No. However, I am comprehensive of that knowledge um, and I acknowledge it for what it is. Um, I also do believe that there were instigators, um, Antifa, and even those who some would call the alt-right. Um, so maybe, I don't know, the Aryan Brotherhood, um, white nationalists, I, I do believe, and it could have been on both sides. We need to acknowledge that, um, both Antifa, the far left, and uh, far right. I do believe that there were instigators. I mean, there's, let, let me rephrase, I don't believe, I, I we saw, we saw that there were people who would come dressed in all black, they wouldn't say anything, they weren't part of the protests, and they would walk up to a building and just start smashing windows. There's no way um, for you not to acknowledge that there were instigators of these riots. Um, suddenly there were pallets of bricks in the middle of a downtown area where there is no construction. There is no way <laughs> to not believe that there were not instigators and that there were people who were there just to start whatever kind of trouble or violence or rioting. And then thirdly, I think that there were people who had been cooped up due to COVID, had nothing to do, and saw that there was an opportunity to cause some trouble or take advantage or maybe go get a free whatever, TV or whatever was taken, like the sneaker shop here in uh, Dallas, Texas. Um, so 
I think that the rioting cannot be solely attributed to the protesters. In fact, I think that there's very much so enough evidence to say that the large majority of the general population that pertained to the protesting were not necessarily rioters um, and those who were rioting and causing trouble. Now, I will concede that there were, I'm certain, um, some protesters who did join in on the rioting, but I think we need to also concede um, that there were a lot of instigators and there were a lot of people who were just causing trouble just for the heck of it. Um, and like I said, when it was happening, it's not the way. It's not the way. It's not the way to convey your message. It's not the way to, to open up the discourse. I think that it's great when you have protesting. I think it's great that you have discourse in a manner that um, continues a fight for justice, um, a call for action, uh, specifically due to, you know, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. Um, however, I'm not gonna be, a, I'm not gonna be a supporter of, of the riots. Um, to me, it's something that detracts from uh, the purpose or the goal of discussing the reality of uh, the deaths, the uh, unfortunate um, killings of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd um, that happened to be at the hands of uh, law enforcement. Um, it's horrendous. And I've spoken to a lot of people in law enforcement and people who have retired and there's a general consensus that um especially like focusing on these two cases there's a consensus that it was wrong it was wrong um so what do i think of of the riots and the protests i think that riots no bueno not good protests, continue the marches, continue the conversation, continue the discourse. Now, one of the questions I um, was asked is if it was symbolic or if it's gonna mean anything, do I, do I think anything will come from this? Let me be clear. Your protests mean nothing if you don't vote. I said it. If you do not vote, if you do not partake in the very institution that gives you a voice to demonstrate and push for justice and change by voting and electing, pe electing people who will represent you and who will push for justice in our communities, then you are part of the problem and your protesting means nothing. And side note, in Texas, early voting started on Monday of this week and election day will be on the 11th. So go vote. And let me tell you something. When I say go vote, I don't mean go vote for the president. I don't mean go vote for the go. I don't mean go vote for the senator. I mean go vote for everything. Every year in, in Texas, and I'm going to be specific to Texas just because every state has different elections and different types. Every year in the state of Texas, there is an election. And the probability of an election every year also includes an election in the spring and an election in the fall. If you are not partaking every year in the spring and in the fall, you are not doing your due diligence 
and your protesting means nothing. You can, you can early vote, you can vote in person on election day, you can do mail-in ballot given the circumstances, you can do absentee voting. There's a lot of different options for you to vote. Go vote. There are people who died to give you the right to represent yourself. So um, do I believe that these protests and these marches are symbolic? I believe that they have the potential to be if people do not partake in our democracy. And I believe that there's a potential to be symbolic if true policies are not implemented and if true change um, is not implemented. If there's no walk to your talk, then you're literally just walking around sh shouting just for giggles. Um, so, I think there is a potential for change. Um, I think that, uh, and, and I've had this discourse and this discussion as y'all have seen before, there is a need for change. Um, and, and again, I've spoken to people who are retired in law enforcement. I've spoken to people who are in law enforcement. I've spoken to people who are activists and people who um, uh, push for that reform. Um, and the common consensus is that there's a need to take a certain workload off of our police officers um, and allow them to specialize in safety and in crime. And when it comes to mental health um, problems, illnesses, uh, when it comes to drug addiction, when it comes to homelessness, uh, when it comes to certain aspects of our community, um, we shouldn't put that load on law enforcement and we should establish uh, a part of our system that helps address uh, these social ills that we have. You know, I, I always, I hear a story of a gentleman who says that he, you know, he, he's a drug addict and he, he tells his story and he says that um, he was once a school teacher. He was an active member of society. He happened to go out one time with a girl and she gave him something to smoke and that was it. That was literally it. One night, one time. And um, I think it happened to be methamphetamine and he didn't know and he became addicted. And today that man um, is still homeless. He's chronically um, homeless. Um, he'll give his money to certain people and he says, I can't hold on to this because if I hold on to this, um, I'll spend it on drugs. He's cognizant of his addiction. And today that gentleman um, will say, you know, sometimes I get arrested just so that I have somewhere to sleep at night. Sometimes I get arrested just so I have a warm bed and a meal. And that is sad that we don't have a system to address a man who is clearly addicted, calling and asking for help. We don't have a safety net for those in need because if you're rich, you can pay for your, you know, your addiction rehab. Um, but if you're middle class, you may squeak it by. And if you're poor, 
you see a lot of these cases. Um, so yes, there's need for reform. And yes, there is potential for um, this movement to be uh, more than symbolic. And uh, now I, I gave the, the, the example in regards to um, um, the homeless gentleman who was an addict, but uh, the specific reforms that are being discussed also today is in regards to those who um, dishonor the badge by um, overt violence, um, such as in the case of George Floyd, which again, everybody agrees that was murder that was an unjust killing and there is a necessity for accountability um and it, to me i think it takes everyone to sit at the table to have this discussion um we can't have this discussion without having all members of our communities um including our black community um, that is the most affected when it comes to those who dishonor the badge. Um, we, need, we need to have this conversation. We have to rip the Band-Aid off. You can't continue to put Band-Aid on cancer. It doesn't heal. So that's my opinion. I went on a bit of a tangent there, right? <laughs> but um, do I think it's more, is it symbolic or do I think that it's going to be more than that? I think it just depends on the actions of everyone. And again, if you don't vote, you're really not doing much else. Um, voting is just the, let me say something. And actually, you know what? This leads me into um, the next question. One of the questions that I got was, how do I get involved? I want to get involved. Enough is enough. I've realized I need to get involved. Um, Voting is just the first part. Voting is just the beginning of getting involved and in making a difference in your community and making a difference um, in our system and making a difference in policies, right? Vote. That's the easiest thing. That's the easiest thing that you can do. But I think that there's other things that can be done. Look at your community that you're in look at the reality of how you can contribute. If you're somebody with a family who has kids, get involved in entities that involves you and your family, whether it's at the YMCA, um, whether it's uh, with, I don't know, Rotary, um, if it's with the NAACP, um, whether it's with your local party, uh, Democrat or Republican. At the end of the day, get involved. Uh, get involved with organizations that are set in place to make a difference and touch the lives of others beyond ourselves. Um, that's how I always tell people to get involved. And one of the things that I always say also is, as you're getting involved, get involved with organizations that include people outside of your community alone. So get involved with people who are outside your ethnicity, people who are outside your social income economic level people who are outside of your basic community bubble get involved with other people with different perspectives different mindsets different backgrounds because at the end of the day how we're going to conquer a lot of these social issues and social differences is to create a common ground and bridge the gap by um, coming together and um, having that opportunity uh, to create that change through interaction with each other. You can't bridge the gap if you only stay in your own bubble. 
So that's one of the things that I always suggest. Um, another, maybe one more, cause y'all, I, I can talk all day long. You can thank my father and mother on that one. Um, let's do an interesting one. <laughs> What's my opinion on marijuana? <laughs> um, so there's two layers. I, I, you, you have to layer things. You, if you're going to look at something, if you're going to look at a policy issue, if you're going to look at anything, look at all the perspectives, look at all the vantage points and then develop your, your position. So there's two parts to marijuana whenever I look at marijuana. There's the medicinal uh, perspective and then there's the social um, factor. Medicinally, in my opinion, marijuana should be removed off the schedule of drugs and medicinally should be legalized across the country and across the board. Medicinally. Um, and I always find it interesting. I don't, I need to look at the schedule of drugs, but for a while, um, the schedule of drugs is like schedule one, schedule two, schedule three, schedule one being the worst. It's the absolute worst at the federal level. And ooh, if you're a schedule one drug, mm. marijuana for a long time, I'm not sure if it's changed to made, I don't know, um, was a schedule one drug. And the schedule two drug was something like meth, methamphetamines. <laughs> Which to me is absurd because we've all seen the pictures of what methamphetamines can do to you. We've we've seen the effects of methamphetamines versus the effects of of marijuana. And for whatever reason, marijuana is up here in terms of the schedule of drugs and the evilness of marijuana. Which to me, it's absurd. It's absurd. But that's just me on the schedule of drugs. So in regards to marijuana, I think that... Medicinally, we not only have enough scientific evidence, I think we have enough um, precedence. Specifically because in 2002, the US federal government filed a patent on cannabinoids. Look this up. Uh, look this up at the USPTO. The US federal government filed a patent on cannabinoids and the medicinal properties of cannabinoids that ha can have effect on various things such as the brain and cancer and whatnot. Um, of course, in 2002, this is 18 years ago, 18 years ago, there was already a recognition in the scientific world and by our US federal government acknowledging the medicinal properties of marijuana why the hell have we not legalized it medicinally across the board? Now I know we could all, we, we could go into the discussion of marijuana and big pharma and well, that can be for another day. But <clears throat> I do believe that medicinally we have enough evidence. I have we have enough precedence and I think we have enough of a foundation to where we can utilize uh, marijuana for various things such as um, what is it? Uh, people who who have epilepsy, people who have cancer and they lose um, their appetites and can or, cancer is a horrible beast. But and when they you know go through chemo, um, they may lose their appetites. And marijuana is something; it has medicinal properties that gives you hunger, as some may call also by the name of munchies. Um, so the medicinal properties are there. I think that we need to remove it off the schedule one drugs and we need to just accept it as a medicinal entity in and of itself. Now, 
in regards to the social aspect. I, this is just me. I believe that we should take the approach that every state has the opportunity to regulate it as they see fit. The same way that we saw after um, alcohol was reintroduced to society back in the day. Um, after that moment in time and after the uh, U.S. amendment was put into place, uh, we saw states have the opportunity to regulate as they saw fit. And then later on, we started to see an equal um, representation of a whole other history lesson of why we have the age of 21 for drinking at all age, at all states. But we'll, we'll leave that for another day because otherwise I'm just going to get down into history and political science and we don't need to go there. Um, <laughs> I think that every state should have the opportunity to regulate as they see fit when it comes to the social use of marijuana. Um, now, I will say this, in my opinion, if we allow people to drink alcohol, if we allow people to smoke cigarettes that have enough chemicals to give you cancer, enough chemicals that are equal to rat poison, um, enough of these things and these vices, then I would say, you know what, if people want to utilize marijuana socially, um, I think that as adults in an adult world, um, they should be allowed to make their adult informed decision. I know that there are a lot of people who say, well, I don't support cigarettes or alcohol either and I'm like yeah but you know it's not your choice so they're gonna drink or smoke if they want and I think that when it comes to marijuana personally um if somebody wants to partake in Mary Jane I think that um I think it's their prerogative um I'm not gonna it's not a hill I'm willing to die on you can get happy hungry or sleepy that's about it when it comes to the smoking of marijuana or eating, ingesting, however you ingest marijuana. Um, so the social aspect, I think that, um, again, I would, one, I would completely legalize it medicinally across the board. I think there's enough evidence scientifically. I think that we have enough precedence with um, patents and the federal government recognizing the medicinal properties. And I think socially, I think state by state. Um, make that decision. I think we're all adults and we should be able to make these decisions as we see fit. Um, so yeah, that's what I think about marijuana. Um, let's see here. Cancel, cancel culture. What do I think of cancel culture? What's my thought on it? Um, I've posted a few times and um, I hate cancel culture. I hate it. There's one thing to hold people accountable. And with that accountability comes, you know, the effects of, of having to be held accountable. However, to completely and utterly destroy a person, their livelihood, their home, their everything, a lot of times cancel culture goes overboard. It's one, it's one thing if it's like, I don't know, a mass murderer who killed a bunch of children and ate their brains or something like that. Yeah, 
like that's not even cancel culture that's a crime right um and it's it's one thing like say i don't know somebody's a closeted neo-nazi who celebrates and honors hitler and is also i don't know a school teacher we'd probably fire them from our school system because that's not what we want taught to our children um however if it's somebody who when they were 15 years old tweeted something and used language that was completely and utterly unacceptable and inappropriate do i think that we should crucify them socially no i don't i think that people can learn from their mistakes we make mistakes we should be held accountable but then we should be given the opportunity to grow and to be forgiven and to show our growth not to be completely dismantled as a human being and as a person and receive death threats and and this this cancel culture is to me it's very toxic and it's modern day mccarthyism in my book it is modern day mccarthyism and if you don't know what mccarthyism is here's a little quick history lesson mccarthyism came in oh gosh what was it 1950s um after world war ii and it was when we were still in the middle of uh, the cold war and russia was um the ussr and anybody anybody at that time um uh, who sympathized or even seemed like they sympathized like uh in support of of communist russia was blacklisted they were completely blacklisted and they would lose everything and they would lose their home and they couldn't find work and it was horrible and the reason it's called mccarthyism is because there was a man named mccarthy um who was part of the uh, i think it was u.s congress and he would hold these briefings and basically like these um these get-togethers where they would judge people it was like a faux courthouse and they would say they would essentially go after them and if you were blacklisted you were over and it was absurd it was absurd because people lost everything everything and at that time it was justified because the idea was that um communism was anti-american and it was a challenge to the morals of the time and I, you know, I understand when you want to oppose something and you don't believe it's up to the morals of uh, our social fabric and it's not up to the standards of our social fabric, but it's one thing, again, to hold someone accountable and it's another thing to completely and utterly destroy somebody due to their words or their actions that they may have grown from. Um, I've made so many mistakes. Y'all, one of these days I'm going to have to testify because my mess has become my message. And I would not be the woman I am today if one, I didn't have the opportunity to get up. And two, I wasn't forgiven. If I wasn't forgiven, one in Jesus and two by those that um, went through those times with me, I would be a broken person. And I feel like we're living in a society where we're not giving people the opportunity to be forgiven from their mistakes. And we're not giving people the opportunity to 
grow and to come into their own. It's it's almost Orwellian. Like you make a mistake, you're cut off from society. Cancel culture. Ugh. Um, I'm not a supporter of cancel culture. I don't like it. I do believe in accountability. And I do believe that if you need to go record somebody acting a fool and call them out and the only way people will listen is by you, you know, posting on social media. Sure. Okay. But after a certain point, we need to also forgive and we also need to give people the opportunity to grow. Um, again, this is, uh, within the parameters of something that is acceptable that you can grow from. Um, somebody could rape somebody and grow as a person, but you know what, if you rape somebody, you need to go to jail, right? So I'm not, I'm not talking about the extremes. I'm not talking about things that, um, you, you know what, somebody could even forgive somebody who may have raped them, but there's still consequences to those actions. Um, so I do believe in accountability for things that are not, <laughs> on the deep end of um, social ills and misbehavior. Um, but I don't think that cancel culture is healthy. I think that a lot of people, a lot of people are scared to say anything. A lot of people are scared to do or say or misbehave because they may get canceled. And that's horrible. Um, if anything, y'all, if y'all, if y'all believe in cancel culture, let me tell you something. Go ahead and cancel me now because I've messed up so many times in my life. Jesus is my Lord and Savior and he's the reason that uh, I have the opportunity to <laughs> tell my story today because I have messed up as a person, as an adult, so many times. And I'm always grateful to the people who gave me another chance, to the people who forgave me, who gave me the opportunity to grow from my social ills. Um, and I think we need to start recognizing that we need to start forgiving people. We need to hold them accountable. And if you need to put their feet to the fire just a bit, put them feet to the fire. But um, cancer culture is just toxic. It's, I would shift away from cancel culture and encourage instead an accountability culture a culture where we give people the opportunity to redeem themselves, an opportunity for people to be forgiven. Um, do I believe that there are consequences for your actions? Absolutely. Um, but I don't think that we should completely and utterly destroy a person um, when there's still a chance, there's still hope. So that is pure lunacy. And I told y'all that I went through barely any questions. <laughs> <laughs> barely any other questions um there's a lot um had to write them out um keep the questions coming let's keep the conversation going uh hopefully i can get a few more guests on to just give their perspectives of everything that's going on what's happening in our country i think we're at a turning point um in our nation and we have an opportunity right now and that opportunity is to either bring about reconciliation and unification or to bring about the collapse of our country really because um, I do believe I genuinely believe that a house divided uh, will fall apart and we can't be a house divided we need as a nation to come together to come together in love to come together in forgiveness and to come together in growth um, to hold accountable the ills of our past 
the ills of the present to make a better future. Um, that's pure lunacy, right? To recognize that we're not perfect, to recognize that even in that imperfection, there's hope. <laughs> that's pure lunacy. But yet, here we are. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. I hope that uh, I answered some of y'all's questions at least. Um, and I'll see you next week.